Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Behind the Sounds. I'm so excited uh, to be joined by Shane Stevens today. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so excited. Absolute pleasure. I'm going to start off, we are going to talk about this at length, but congratulations because Grammy nominated this year, uh, Fancy Light Walker Hayes. What a week. Oh my gosh, I think, well, my husband posted a video of me jumping up and down and screaming because, of course, they don't tell us in advance, and we were in Palm Springs, I officiated my first wedding, and um, it was the day after the wedding, and I looked completely crazy, <laughs> but I was so shocked and so excited, and I just, you know, you want a Grammy, I've been thinking about that since I was 10 years old, so mm -hmm. it's, that's the biggest honor, and it's voted on by our peers, so it's our Oscar. So I'm so excited. I'm just over the moon. This song has changed all of our lives forever. So regardless of what happens, we're Grammy nominated. So it's a big deal in our business, you know? It is. And it's, it's the song has just flown. And I want to talk about it at length. But I kind of want to start at the beginning. So kind of growing up for you, um, as I said, you've, you've written tons of songs, every genre, you've, you've done it all but growing up were you a musical child uh was you know did you grow up kind of knowing you wanted to be a musician or a songwriter I, I grew up always knowing that I wanted to sing I didn't know that I was going to be a songwriter uh and my dad was a shrimper we I grew up on a shrimp boat in um, north and south carolina and um my family was really musical my parents did uh, led praise and worship in church um but I grew up on beach music and country music and I hated country music when I was a kid because you're kind of trained I guess to hate whatever your parents love so I was obsessed with Mariah Carey and and Luther Vandross and Gladys Knight and um even Paul Abdul like you know because I'm you know born in 78 so by the late 80s early 90s you know I discovered George Michael and like my my, my fourth grade school teacher told me I've told this story before but she actually just reached out to me after Fancy Light went number one. And she changed my life because she uh, one day took me and a friend of mine um, from fourth grade from class. She had a pool party for our fourth grade class because her, um, her family owned a soybean farm. So she made it like a field trip, but we were her favorite class. So she decided in the summertime she was going to take us all to her house. So we got in the car and she put in the single for One More Try by George Michael and I was like whoa what is this and she goes this is George Michael one day you're going to be just like him and it's okay you know talking to the little gay kid you know but she's like you're gonna and you're gonna sing and and write songs and I just want you to know I'm so proud of you and and, and it's okay and I'm like wait what and then I became obsessed with George Michael and then I was obsessed with his songwriting and his singing. And um, I was that kid that always bought, you know, CDs and records. And I would know everybody who wrote and everybody who sang and all the background vocals and where it was mixed and things like that, which, you know, I think kids are starting to actually get back into again, is, is learning more about songwriters and who musicians and stuff are, especially with um, vinyl making a comeback. So it's really exciting. But really, my school teacher was the one that put the this planted the seed of maybe you'll write songs and you'll be a singer and I was the, the kid at school that always got the the solo and the choir and things like that you know but mm -hmm. um I had no idea we'd go where we are now <laughs> mm. and it's such a thing to be said isn't it that I think songwriting isn't necessarily up until maybe the re past decade you mm -hmm. weren't known to become a songwriter it was right. you become a singer and you write right. songs. so with that, did you set an intent to be, right, okay, I'm going to learn how to write songs? Um, I didn't set an intention immediately to write songs. It wasn't until I moved to Nashville um, when I was 17, right out of um, high school, with my best friend Karen Rochelle. We met at Opryland Auditions um, to sing at a theme park. And I got the job, but they wanted to move me to Texas, and I didn't want to go to Texas. I wanted to go to Nashville. And she was like, let's go, let's just go. And I like, packed up my little Ford Ranger and I came to Nashville. There was a seafood restaurant that had just opened. And so I got a job in the seafood restaurant because that's really all I knew how to do. And um, I ended up meeting this music producer, Jerry Crutchfield. 
who produced Tanya Tucker and Lee Greenwood, and he used to be the president of MCA Records. And he saw my name tag and where I was from and said, oh, I've eaten in restaurants there. I was like, you've been to my hometown? And he asked me what I was doing here. I'm like, well, I think I'm a songwriter, but, but I know I'm a singer, but my best friend Karen is the best singer songwriter and you should meet her. And so he did and um, ended up signing her to a publishing deal, which is right across the street, right? from where I am right now on, on Music Row. And um, I started writing more with her and I went to hair school actually for my just in case career mm -hmm. to become a hairdresser. Cause you never know, you know, I just, back then I was like, I gotta, I don't have parents that are helping me. I was working in a restaurant and I needed to have a craft. And so I went to hair school first and then I ended up doing hair for all these massive country stars and just kind of writing songs in the back when I could and, um, and started to kind of get more into it. But honestly, back then, for a little gay kid in Nashville, that wasn't like, it didn't seem as possible for me. Um, mm -hmm. But things started to shift, you know, and they've really started to shift now, which is amazing. Yeah. So. It, and it's, it's so incredible. I love that, having a just-in-case career, <laughs> which mm -hmm. you quite obviously you didn't need. Um, no. <laughs> do you think, like, looking back, did it come naturally to you, the songwriting aspect, or did you kind of have to learn and teach yourself how to do it? I think it is, it came to me very naturally. I, I know that I kind of tap into a place spiritually and I hear and I feel. Um, I learned the craft of songwriting, the way I paid a lot of attention to way, because a lot of people, which is hilarious, didn't realize how Mariah Carey was a real songwriter. And I, paid attention to her inner rhymes and her storytelling and her four-syllable words and stuff like that. And I paid attention um, to George Michael and I paid attention to Carol King and the simplicity of all that. I wasn't a kid who loved the Beatles until later on in life and didn't appreciate that simplicity of that songwriting until much later. But um, it was a natural thing. I would hear melody. I would see words. I would hear words. Um, but being in Nashville, you kind of get in rooms with other people and you just want to step your game up. So I learned from a lot. I stand on the shoulders of a lot of really incredibly talented people here. And you just kind of absorb that. And it's a storytelling town. And, um, but I bring a pop sensibility to the country music that I do. So I listened to other things and brought that into what I do, you know? Yeah. And it's, I'm, I'm really intrigued actually, because you obviously ended up in Nashville saying kind of you, you grew up not liking country music right what was it that actually drew you to Nashville to say right this is where I'm gonna go to start my career um well my my friend Karen Rochelle that I met at the Opryland audition she's like I'm gonna go to Nashville and be a singer-songwriter do you want to go and I'd never been on an airplane wow. uh, you know even I wasn't I didn't go on an airplane until I flew to DC I think when I was 19 years old and that just seemed like the logical choice I started to really like country music when I was a um, sophomore in high school in grade 10. Um, my uh, friend Tina and I had a deal. If she would listen to pop music on the way to school, I would listen to her country music on the way home and I had to pay her $5 a week and get for gas. And so <laughs> I fell in love with Winona Judd and then I fell in love with Reva McIntyre. And then I fell in love with Dolly Parton. And because my friend thought all that music was cool, then I now thought it was cool to like it and listen to it. So then I started singing it. And I would like listen to Clint Black and do karaoke contests and stuff like that. And then I realized, wow, if I sing country music, I can win money. So that's really how I started <laughs> out doing karaoke contests, singing the countryest songs, Alan Jackson and Ronnie Millsap and all these people. Um, and so Nashville was the logical choice because it was drivable from where, you know, it was a 10 hour drive um, to get here. If I needed to get to my mom, you know, I was a kid, mm -hmm. I was 17 years old. I could get home easily on a tank of gas, you know, or then a tank and a half. Mm -hmm. um, but then I made the transition and when I'm, I moved to New York City in 2001, right before 9-11. Wow. Oh yeah, we'll get to there. And <laughs> <laughs> um, what what drew you to do that? Why did you leave? Um, I quickly realized that if I wanted to sing, country music was not going to open the doors for me. And um, I got a record deal offer in New York City to be the next George Michael, which is hilarious. And then I got there and quickly 
they started, which is so funny. This is so funny because people in America would be like, what? They sent me the Craig David album, the label, yeah. the first one. Can you fill me in? Like all that. And they're like, this is what we want you to do. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know two-step R&B. I, I don't know how to do that. I had never written to a track. I'd only written in rooms with people on guitar or piano, you know? And, um, and I loved it. But I'm like, that's not me. I don't do all that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then 9-11 happened and I was already in New York and there was no turning back, go back to Nashville. And um, I, was saying, I was signed to Famous Music Publishing at that time. And um, I got dropped by the record label and it's just kind of the world just kind of stopped and everybody started leaving New York City. And I was like, well, I can't go back to Nashville now. And I was, I was embarrassed. Mm. I was a kid, you know, so, um, but I stayed and I went back to working in a hair salon and waiting tables and running karaoke shows, working three jobs to stay in Manhattan. Um, and I did that until, gosh, and doing shows when I could. Um, but I did that until about 2005 before I got another publishing deal. And that's a whole other story because I ended up um, doing a lot of celebrity hair again. And I met Mary Louise Parker. Did you ever see the show Weeds? Yes. yes. Loved so it. Mary Louise Parker became a full-time client of mine. And I had actually met her and Julianne Moore, a very pregnant Julianne Moore in Magnolia Bakery the first week I moved to Manhattan. So fast forward, this is four years later, 2005, I'm working in a, the very first blowout salon ever opened in New York called Blow. So I'm just doing blowouts. And Mary Louise walks in and sees me and walks up over to the host at the, you know, the person checking her in and says she wants me, points to me. And she comes over and sits down. I'm like, she's never going to remember me. Um, and we go and I put her back in the um, shampoo bowl and I'm washing her hair and I start talking to her a little bit and she points up to me like this and goes, banana pudding. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you remember that because Julianne Moore had bought me a banana pudding. I was standing in the Magnolia Bakery because I'd seen it on Sex and the City, of course. Mm -hmm. and, but I didn't want a cupcake and I, it was just me and Ju Julianne Moore pregnant, didn't realize who she was, no makeup on. She lived on that block. And uh, I was like, what should I get? And she's like, uh, get banana pudding. I'll buy it for you, but you have to let me have the first bite. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we, there used to be a little cafe table in there. So we sat down, she had a spoon. I had a spoon. She took a bite. Yummy. Right. Then Mary Louise Parker and Billy Crudup come in and they're talking. And so I'm like having a full on, oh my God, that's Mary Louise Parker. I still don't realize Julianne Morris bought me this pudding. And, um, I bet she wouldn't even remember that. But anyway, she, um, I recognized, you know, Mary Louise. And then I'm like, oh my God, it's Julianne Moore. Like it just hit me all of a sudden, right? And they asked me why I was in New York. I said, well, um, I moved here. I got, I got a record deal and a publishing deal. I'm going to be a singer. I'm a singer songwriter. And that was how it, that was just the extent of the conversation. But Mary Louise remembered it because I was so Southern and she couldn't forget this accent, <laughs> you know? And she's like, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be writing songs. I'm like, well, 9-11 happened and I lost my deal and I got to make the living. And she's, she's like, oh my God. So she ended up just kind of falling in love with me. And I would go to her house and do her hair for her for events and stuff. And then she invited me one night to a party for uh, Mark Seliger, who's a photographer who did a lot of covers of Rolling Stone and stuff. And he was having a coffee table book party. And that night I met um, Elvis Costello, Diana Krall, uh, Lenny Kravitz, all these people, like, and I ended up um, meeting Cher, and I was completely silent, me, who talks face off, silent, <laughs> could not speak, um, I had gotten a little stone for the first time in my whole life, <laughs> had no idea what was happening, we were drinking champagne out of these little tiny champagne bottles with a pink ribbon and a straw, and so I had a buzz, and I didn't drink, really, and so my friend David that worked at the hair salon came to the party because Mary Louise was like, you're not going to know anybody but me, so if you want to invite someone, invite them, so about that time, when Cher walked up and compliments my eyes, my t-shirt, and my necklace, and I can't speak, and Mary Louise slaps me on the back and says, Shane, say something. I said, I'm sorry, I have to pee. 
That's what I said to share. Went to the bathroom, called my mom, apparently. Came back out. They have pizza in their hand and chicken tenders and water. And they're trying to, like, sober me up. Cher's gone. I've missed my moment. And um, Mary Louise grabbed me by the shoulders and turned me around. And she said, these are the people you effing want to be already. So start writing songs. Like, this is who you want to be. So do it already. And I was like, oh, my God. And so the next day I wrote a song for the first time in a few years because I was working all the time. Um, I sent it to a friend of mine who worked for Bob Doyle, who's Garth Brooks' manager and publisher. And next thing I knew, I got a phone call to fly to Nashville and have a meeting. And that was the last time I did hair professionally. That was it. Wow. There's your very... That's my story. I mean, that's a short version, but that's how it happened. Um, And then Mary Louise moved to L.A. full time. Um, I didn't see her for a while until I was hiking Runyon Canyon like a few years later and she saw me and like lost her mind. Um, but I was like, you changed my entire life. So every time I see her, I'm like, if I didn't, if I wasn't back to doing hair, I, regardless, I would have lost my record deal. If I didn't go back to a salon, if I'd never met her, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now, period. Yeah. So wow. but you always have to have a champion, you know, and you never know where that champion's gonna come from. Yeah. It'd be your waiting Magnolia table. Bakery. <laughs> Magnolia Bakery. I mean, Magnolia Bakery changing lives since the 80s, I guess, yeah. or 90s. <laughs> I'm going to go. Right. Oh, my God. That's possibly up there with one of my favorite stories I've ever heard about how someone got back into songwriting. Yep. And so that took you back to Nashville. And then have That's you been there ever Nashville. since? No, I, I, they let me stay in New York. So I stayed in New York until the end of 2015, actually. Um, and American Idol ended up changing my life because I started writing a lot of songs for American Idol contestants and Simon Cowell and their team would bring me out, put me up in the hotel and I would write. Um, and so I started going to LA a lot. So then, then I was started living in Nashville, New York and LA. So I was bouncing around constantly. I have never in my entire adult life lived in one city until this pandemic, which has become the biggest blessing that it could have ever been for us because it kept, it got me grounded. My husband and I bought a house uh, December of 2019. We moved in January 1st, 2020, and then March lockdown. But then I was in Nashville again writing because I bounced out of country music for a while after American Honey and the American Idol stuff started happening. I ended up writing for Little Mix, which is probably one of my favorite cuts ever that I've ever had because those girls sing, as we say, for the blood of Jesus. It was so great. I was so excited and it's sold so many and so many people, so many copies and so many people know that song. Like the most random people reach out. They're like, Shane, you wrote this Little Mix song? I'm like, you're an American. You know Little Mix. This is cool. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, I, I love that. And so I want to talk about some songs. So let's hone in on a couple. Okay. You just mentioned it there, which is one of the biggest hits, country hits of the, the last decade, American Honey. Um mm. It was, it was the single, if I'm right, straight after Lady A released Need You Now, which is literally, I think it classes one of the biggest country songs ever. ever so no right. pressure when their no pressure. next single is one of your songs. <laughs> um, and a song that they didn't write, which was... Which know, was unheard of for them at the time. Totally. Yeah. So can you tell me, uh, it was written with with legend Hillary Lindsay right. Caraballo, and mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about that song? We went on our first writing trip out of Nashville to um, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, near Dollywood. And it's a dry county. And we were like, where are we going to get wine? You know, so we had to drive to this liquor store outside of where we were. And um, there was a bottle of whiskey called American Honey made by Wild Turkey. And I'm like, wait, can we warm that up and make it like a hot toddy because it was cold and and Carrie's like, yeah, we'll put it in the microwave. <laughs> so we get this hot, that we have, we get this American hoodie, we put it in the microwave, we're drinking it hot. Um, and um, we're just sitting around making up melodies and Carrie's playing guitar and making up melodies and singing. And um, literally it came from the name of a whiskey. It's not about whiskey. It just was like, it's comparison to a girl in, in a simple life, in a sweet life. And um, remembering, you know, 
reminiscent of a time when things were easy. And so um, it just kind of flew out. The melody came first and then American Honey, the title. And I'm like, we're drinking American Honey. You know, I actually have that entire songwriting session recorded. I need to go back and listen to it, like what we're talking about, because we were we were giggling. I think it was called Eating Chips because um, (laughs) we may have been a little bit stoned. (laughs) There's a theme. (laughs) There was a theme. theme. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny because I've never really, I don't really ever do that anymore, especially, but never in sessions. Um, Not even in LA when everybody's stoned. Oh, Lord. But um, we don't really do that in Nashville, but it was a getaway and we were just, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, it was called Eating Chips the work tape um we didn't finish the lyric the first day we were almost done we came back with several songs and that was the one that stuck out to our publishers the most and they're like you guys have got to get in and finish that song so we went to hillary's house and we were sitting on her porch and it just popped just came right out in minutes like the to just tie the bow on it um i think it was the word like that changed it actually Wow. Like, like American honey because originally we weren't saying like and it just kind of shifted it and then um we came over to major bob and did the demo put a little loop in it which was not really a thing that was happening in country music either which the producer um paul worley ended up using from the demo um and and building around it but uh, my publisher mike doyle who is now my publisher again which is hilarious um freaked out over the song and he knew that they were in the studio that that lady a was in the studio and he ran to the studio where they were tracking it's like i have the song i have the song because need you now was already out Mm -hmm. and um charles freaked out i have to have this song hillary has to sing this song and then it just happened and then uh they as soon as need you now was i think the first week at number one our publishers took us to dinner to tell us that it was going to be the next single and we lost our minds I can imagine. So. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it really, like, it, you talk about Need You Now, and it, it, it literally, they, they will talk about it, how it changed their lives. And it actually, in a lot of ways, changed country music because it was kind of a bit of a pop crossover. And even, totally. like, in the UK, it was huge. Yeah. And then to have this this next single, which was so good, it was whatever it was going to be, it was going to be so highly anticipated. Yeah, totally. And you find out it's yours. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No pressure. Mm-hmm. No pressure. We were like, oh my gosh, what if we don't go number one? Like, what if we, <laughs> what happens? What happens to their career? <laughs> you know, but we did. And people really embraced it. And it, you know, it was very sweet to hear Hillary take the lead on a song like that. Um, she's got such a great voice. She's got such a storyteller voice. And it kind of, for me, like in the way that Carol King did, like you believe what she's singing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard by the way, to sing a demo after Hillary Lindsay, because Hillary Lindsay is the singer of singers. I mean, hello, for the longest time, Carrie Underwood was doing her best impression of Hillary Lindsay, if you ask me, you know, so, and of course she grew and evolved and became who she is, but um, man, oh man, it just, I was, we were so blown away when we heard the actual final cut of it. Oh my gosh, it was incredible. What a ride. That changed everything too. And did you... Was that kind of your falling? Because before that, you'd had kind of Sarah Evans hits and a couple of things, yeah. you? Mm-hmm. but was that your kind of real, okay, maybe I'm going to stick with country? Yes. You never, you've literally done everything. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's I'm literally. Yeah, it has been a really wild ride. Yes. And it was very exciting and I loved it. And then music started to shift a little bit here to more of the bro country thing. And I didn't really want to do that. Um, so, you know, Hillary and Carrie and I would write together and we'd do like Little Big Town and Carrie Underwood and things like that, which I really, really loved. Um, I did a television show in 2010 and it was like documenting my life to me and three other gay guys and our girlfriends, you know, and I was back and forth between New York and Nashville still. And I was going through a breakup and it just um, took me out of Nashville for a bit and I stayed out for a while. And then I was like, oh my God, are they ever going to let me back in? Like, I've really thought, uh, have I, have I literally ended my career? Cause in my, in my mind, I left, I've left my publishing deal and I signed with Cobalt Music and, um, cause I wanted to own my own copyrights for the first time. And, um, 
I wanted to write more pop. So I got a manager and I signed AAM and I signed Cobalt. And then um, they put me in the little mix camp. Like we wrote that song, Julia Michaels and I, and um, Matt Rad wrote that song for Little Mix. Like we were in a camp that their label had put together for them. And when that cut happened, I was like, oh, great. This is great. In LA for a couple of weeks. And now first song is Little Mix. Amazing. And then, then it was Selena Gomez. And then it was Ariana. And then it was um, Megan Trainer, who was my demo singer forever like I would send her voice memos from my phone can you sing this and she'd send me back a full demo you know <laughs> she's a beast um so I was really having a time and I was working with Beyonce and I was working with Kelly Rowland so I thought this is going to be amazing and then I wrote um like four or five songs on a Jesse McCartney comeback record called In Technicolor and I was just having the best time because in pop music there weren't any rules you know, mm -hmm. and I could bring my kind of country storytelling to it, you know, which they seem to really, really like. Um, Jesse put out Super Bad and it did okay, you know, because he was doing it independently. Um, and then I just kept getting a lot of album cuts and I didn't really have the team. Oh, uh, Fifth Harmony uh, with Everlasting Love, mm -hmm. like all that stuff was happening. But to be a songwriter nowadays and the way we get paid, you got to have singles. Now, Little Mix has done so well. Like, I would say independently during my independent time before Fancy Like, that song has made the most money out of anything. Wow. It, because it got synced in a movie. It gets mm -hmm. streamed like crazy. It sold over a million in the UK. Like, that has been the biggest blessing. One of the girls reached out to me. Uh, I can't remember which one. Ari, maybe? And sent me a video of a little Asian boy singing it. She's like... I know you wrote this song and we love this song, but you've got to see this kid singing this song, Aww. which was so sweet. Mm -hmm. um, so, sorry, I got sidetracked on. I probably just rambled all over the place. <laughs> no, my first cup of coffee well, here. it was kind of what I was going to ask you about because you, like, as you obviously said, you didn't get tons of singles, but mm -hmm. these people you were writing for were are and were in the prime of their careers and are totally the biggest fan bases you talk about obviously little mix particularly right. over here and even mm -hmm. um where you guys are their fan bases are humongous ariana grande selena gomez mm -hmm. so even though these songs aren't singles do you still kind of get people or, or see videos of them literally being sung everywhere everywhere and you know um we were in Nashville in 2016 and saw Selena did a concert here. Um, and Joe Jonas's band, what's, what's his band name? Uh, DNC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they opened for her and she sang Nobody. And I watched all these kids in the audience holding up signs and singing along. And and that just, I'm like, oh, this is, it reminds you, like, this is why we do it. They're, those super fans know every single song. And I still get messages about that song. I get messages about Little Mix. I get messages about Fifth Harmony. Like, so fans that really love their artists, they know that music, which is so rewarding for us, you know. We do it. We work for this bitch called Hope. <laughs> hoping, 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 hoping that <laughs> something blows up and, and you can continue to do what you do for a living. Mm -hmm. um, and fortunately, yes. Um, but um, it, uh, it has been amazing to see how it's touched people, how the songs touch people. And they'll send you their personal stories on Instagram and, or where they were. This one kid was like, I heard, um, I, they, she said she was contemplating suicide and told God if this certain song came on the radio that she wouldn't kill herself. And then it did. So, I mean, you get stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So music does bring joy and sadness and gives you makes you feel all of those emotions and I mean I sit in here and cry all the time when I'm writing songs you know or laugh like we did with Fancy mm -hmm. Black. <laughs> I want to I want to speak about a song that, that the first time I heard it I cried um Beat Up Bible for Little Big Town uh, um I, I it's on their breaker record and I, I truly think it's one of the most underrated songs they've released and I absolutely love Kimberly's voice and hearing her and it really, I know you just said, obviously, Hillary, you wrote that with Hillary Lindsay, is, and I'm, as I know, and she is the singer of singers. But it sounds like that was written for Kimberly to sing. It does, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, we wrote that song. It took nine years, I think, for someone to record it. Wow. 
everyone, it had been on hold for every artist in Nashville, for Carrie Underwood, Lady Antebellum, everybody. And um, we, we demoed it like in the studio with um, session players, but never quite captured the magic of just the work tape, which you can hear the chain from the ceiling fan tick, tick, ticking on the light in the background. But it was just the three of us singing. Because when we write, when Carrie and Hillary and I write together, um, we usually sing harmony from the get. Like we're just, we pick, get our melody and we just start singing together. And so that was the magic of that. We actually wrote it on my birthday in Key West, Florida. We wrote Carrie Underwood, Do You Think About Me in Key West, Florida on my birthday as well. There's something about writing songs. I wrote, I wrote Fifth Harmony song on my birthday. It's so crazy. Um, and I haven't written on my birthday in years. And maybe I should start writing. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe, maybe that needs to become a thing again. <laughs> oh my gosh. But Beat Up Bible is about our grandparents. Um, all three of us had, in the South especially, your family would write your history in the front of the Bible, like who was born when they died, all that. Wow. So all of us had those Bibles and really connected on that. So it's really a lot of that song is about my granny and about Hillary and her, her grandmother. And um, my granny taught me how to pray. My, my granny taught me the Lord's Prayer. My granny is the first real reason that I actually had any type of faith at all because of the house that I was raised in. It was not a good situation by any means. I had an incredibly um, horrible, alcoholic, schizophrenic father. So there was a lot of abuse there, but my granny lived with us most of my childhood and kept me safe and, and taught me how to pray and taught me that having uh, prayer didn't have to be so formal. It was about a conversation between you and God. And I was like, okay, well, maybe one day I'll meet this God person or whatever you're talking about. But um, so it's about that. And the first uh, time I heard them sing it live was at the Ryman Auditorium here. And I got up out of the church pew at the Ryman and I, I was sitting because um, they put me behind a pole and I couldn't see the stage. And I got up and I had my phone and this man came over. He's like, sir, you can't be taking video of this concert. I'm like, you don't understand. I wrote this song and it is about my granny. And he goes, oh, you sit right there, sir. You do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the most precious. It's the sweetest song. I actually won a BMI Christian Award for that mm -hmm. song. They surprised it me with it last year. Wow. Um, I have to say, uh, echoing that, I heard that song. They played it at the Royal Albert Hall here in London. And really unbelievable. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I've got a video of it somewhere. I'll have to send it to you. Oh, you have to send it to me. Um, but yeah, I, ha I had to mention it because I just think it's one of them songs that, yes, it, w it was an album cut, but it, it's mm -hmm. one. And I think probably if you went to, you know, a little big town show, it would be a really well, you know, uh, it's a fan favorite. Totally. Um, when they won, remember. you know, because Hillary wrote Girl Crush, obviously. And when we saw them, uh, after the Grammys that year, after they won, and they told me that they had recorded the song, and Kimberly pulled me aside with tears in her eyes to tell me how much it meant to her that we were letting her record it. And I'm like, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> Thanks, but really? <laughs> like, of course we're letting you record it. <laughs> um, with, and just was like, I grew up with that Bible, with that same story, and it just feels like you tailor-made it for me. And I said, you know, we go up, we listen, we go into heaven and we get our songs. And that's where one of those came from. Sitting on a, in a living room in Key West, Florida, just on my birthday, writing about our grannies. We just, we just, my publisher gave me the greatest advice, which was Shane, just write what you know. Don't try to make it up. Like you, if you've never been on a surfboard, don't write about surfboards. If you've never been on a tractor, don't write about tractors. Like, you know, I'm as country as they come. I'm from the deep South. You know, I definitely belong in this genre. I'm countryer than some more some of these artists that are here that are doing it, you know. And um, once I really just kind of accepted that that's what I come from it, and just staying authentic and true to myself, um, everything just kind of opened up for me songwriting wise. You know, just tell the truth. It's easy to tell the truth. It really is. Um, yeah. And, and you obviously you say you very country, but something else that I've noticed about your writing, you love a Christmas song. Oh, girl, I love Christmas. And it is, as it's nearly Christmas, I want to know. <laughs> I was like, definitely got to talk about it. You've had so many Christmas hits. I and do. I, is, that, is that just purely you love Christmas and you love writing Christmas songs? I love Christmas. My dad hated Christmas. So I kind of think, 
because he hated it so much, um, I was determined to love it so much. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, living in New York City for as long as I did, that's the most magical Christmas place there could possibly be. Mm -hmm. And I was just always inspired by walking around the city and I would just take my little iPhone or back then even my little tape recorder and, and walk around and be inspired by the streets and the lights and the snow and the people in the park. And, um, and then after not living in New York full time, you usually have to write uh, Christmas songs in the summer. So most of my Christmas songs are written in June and July, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, and I put up a Christmas tree and I do all of that, just get in the, in the mood and um, try to just come up with something original, like the Kelly Rowland song, Love You More at Christmas Time, which is my absolute favorite one. And then At Christmas, the Sarah one. Mm-hmm. But um, the, uh, the Kelly one just, it just felt good. I got to turn my Mariah Carey-isms on, like I could totally hear. It's just, it just feels like an R&B song with a Christmas lyric, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I love Christmas and I have to write them and they come really easily. Yeah. I love it. I just, when I was looking at kind of all your discography, I was like, there are so many Christmas songs on there. <laughs> and I just was like, and there will be that. many, many more. There's, Good. there's, there's one that I'm singing called a perfect gift that I wrote like, gosh, eight years ago. I was fully determined to put that song out and I just never have just always hoping that someone else would, you know, record it and put it out. It's very kind of up-tempo, last Christmassy feeling, you know, kind of classic. I'll send it to you. You should just sing it. (laughs) I think you should just release it. (laughs) I would love to. I I should. should. I will. (laughs) I know. I, yeah, well, send it to me and I'll, if I could sing, I'd sing it for you, but I can't sing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But obviously, so Christmas song, You've written for everyone under the sun, but as you say, a massive, massive game changer over the last 18 months comes from a little country boy, Walker Hayes. Um, Yeah. Yeah, two cuts on his EP, um, Make You Cry, which is like, the first time I heard that song, I was like, holy moly, that's, yeah, you know, you just get a bit speechless. Oh, thank you. Um, And then you pop in with Fancy Like, um, which... Number one, Grammy-nominated, Applebee's commercial, TikTok <laughs> phenomenon, like basically everything that possibly could have happened with it has happened with it. Has happened. Um, so I, can you just take me back to the day you wrote that song? Well, I was not supposed to be in the session, Start for, first of all. So I showed up a day early to write with Kylie Morgan. Um, whom I love and she mm-hmm. signed to Smack which is the same place that Walker signed to and um, I show up and I'm getting my cup of coffee and getting ready to go in and uh, Walker's manager and publisher come out and they're like oh my gosh Shane we're so sorry we got the dates wrong your session is actually tomorrow and then Walker came out of the um, his writing room and saw me he's like yo dude what are you doing here and he, I'm like I was supposed to write with Kylie but they got the date wrong so it's tomorrow so I'm just gonna have my coffee and go and goes no can you write with me I'm like uh well yeah but isn't there already two other people in the room like that's a lot of cooks in the kitchen he goes no 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 no. you got to come in you got to come in I'm telling you and I'd never met Josh and I'd only met Kemba once on um on uh, Zoom or whatever, this was his first ever country session, his first time to Nashville. Wow. And so we actually, I go in, sit down. I've never met these other guys. So I'm a person clearly who likes to share their soul. You know, I need to know who you are, where you're from. You need to know where, who I am and where I'm from and, 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 and the kind of person that I am. So we ended up having a conversation for almost three hours. We talked a lot about God. We talked a lot about our feelings of the pandemic and it was really one of those very first in-person sessions you know I was vaccinated I already had COVID I was like oh my gosh they've let me out the house (laughs) what's gonna happen Walker and I had done a bunch of sessions on Zoom so this is one of the first ones other than make you cry that we were able to do in person and um sat down and talked and then you know Walker played the song country stuff for us and I was like, that is hilarious. And I love it. Mm-hmm. And then um, 
I think Josh Jenkins was like, are we ever going to write a song? That's what he's thinking, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, I have an idea called Fancy. I was like, Fancy like Reba? Or or Iggy Azalea? What do you mean Fancy? He goes, no, like, you know, when you go to do things that are fancy to country people. I'm like, oh, Fancy Life. And so it's funny. I have that session recorded too, you know, because I forget everything as far as like melodies and stuff, mm-hmm. even because if they come out, it's just the flow. I'm really great at remembering what I said, but um, melodies, I'm like, okay, because sometimes you capture the magic and then, and then everybody's going, wait, what did you just do? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I always record everything. Yeah. And um, Walker was like, you know, everybody thinks we're all rich and we drive Teslas and we in really fancy cars. And he's like, I got six kids. So fancy to me is taking my kids to Applebee's. I'm like, that's a real upgrade, you know? And, uh, and I said, I don't really go to Applebee's. I haven't been to Applebee's since the 90s. <laughs> but um, does anybody in here dip their fries in a frosty? So, and Hillary Lindsay is the first person that said, "Oh my God, Shane, we got to." You, have you never dipped your fries in a frosty? I'm like, no. She's like, "Oh, I started doing that in college. It's like the chocolate frosty and the salty and the sweet." I'm like, "Oh my God, sold!" And I have always wanted to put that in song. And so the guys were like, "No, we don't dip our fries in frosties." I'm like, whatever, you have to. And um, Walker just started. Yeah, we fancy like Applebee's, and I was like, on a date night. And he's like, I get bourbon street steak, Norio steak, I'm whipped cream on the top too. It just was like ping pong back and forth. And that song came in probably half an hour at that. It just, just we just downloaded it. Came straight mm-hmm. from heaven. There's no way around it. I fully believe that it already existed and we just tapped in. And the most amazing thing to see with the whole TikTok thing, that wasn't a plan. Like Walker's at home in a pandemic with his kids and starts doing TikToks with his kids. And his daughter's like, dad, let's make a video for it. And then they go to dinner and come back and there's like 50,000 views and then 500,000 views. And then Shane McAnally texts me. He's like, you see your songs blowing up. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I didn't have TikTok. Still haven't done the dance. Terrible. No. Definitely. I'm gonna have to do the dance on the Grammy stage when we win the Grammy. Let's do that. <laughs> I mean, so, that's a plan if I, ever I've I heard one. Done the dance, but I remember at the end of the session, I looked at Cambo and I told him, I said, "Guys, I, I, Cambo, I want you to remember this day. This because this is the first time he was ever in a country session in Nashville. Um, God is gonna show up and show off. Like this song is gonna change our lives." Walker went home and on the way home, rewrote the bridge with Josh on the phone, I guess. He's like, I think we need a real bridge. And the next day I'm driving to, um, because during the pandemic, I got a few girlfriends who didn't want their, they didn't want their husbands to know that they had gray hair. And so I would go color hair for a friend of mine. I'd do her roots. I'm like, come on, your husband knows you. Anyway, so I was on my way to color a friend's hair and I stopped at a Publix grocery store to pick up a roast chicken. <laughs> and Shane was texting me, oh my God, this song is huge. It's going to change Walker's whole life. This is going to put him on the big stage. And I love that I have all of this in text because from the beginning to now, it's just unbelievable at what's happened. But he goes, I love this song. It's going to be so huge. We're going to cut it. I don't like the pre-chorus. And I'm like, oh, he goes, can you change the melody and I think he didn't want to offend Walker <laughs> or whatever I'm like yeah he goes I know this is you so can you just can you and or who goes where I can take a stab at it I said oh girl you're going to produce this no no. <laughs> no 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 I'm good I can do this so I'm literally standing in the checkout line in the Publix when every now and then when I get paid I gotta spoil my baby with an upgrade hey 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 in my text does this work and you hear the checkout going beep <laughs> in the background. And he said, perfect. We're, this is it. We're doing it. Send it to Walker. Send it to Walker. Walker's like, oh, my God, I love that. It's so much better. And then next thing I know, I get the cut in my text message. Because um, Walker had gone home that night after riding the bridge, sat in a room next to his kitchen, and made the demo himself. So we woke up to it. I was like, what is happening? And I I remember when I got home and got the the actual finished version of it, I ran upstairs and grabbed my husband. I'm like, you have to come to my car. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is going to change everything. I just knew it. And I actually talked to Josh Jenkins yesterday because we're freaking out about our first day before yesterday to talk about the Grammy nomination for the first time. 
And he's like, dude, I told everybody you called it. You said it that day. I said, we're getting an Applebee's commercial, even though we weren't setting out to do that. It's just what it was. And, and they didn't even want it in the beginning, by the way. And then when the TikTok thing really blew mm-hmm. up, they were all about it. Yeah. But, um, and then uh, he's like, I told everybody you called it from the first day. I just knew it. And when I saw little babies, like wake up out of their sleep and start wiggling or grandparents, every walk of life doing this dance, it just changed everything. My mom lived with us for about four months uh, this summer. Um, It was really a life and death situation with um, needing surgery and she was not doing well. And I swear it really helped my mom heal because she had so much joy to focus on. She was so proud of me. She's proud of Walker. She was calling the radio stations. Walker was sending her little videos, get well, Miss Ginger. And how are you? And thank you for coming to my show. And, you know, all masked up and we're like, you know, trying to go support our artists and stuff like that. But, um, she had to have carpal tunnel surgery and we had to wean her off of a bunch of medication. And I really truly believe because she had something so wonderful to focus on and joyful to focus on. It helped heal her. It really did. Um, and it's been so amazing to watch families come together and l- literally every walk of life. Like, who knew this little country song? But I'm telling you, yeah. had I not written in like pop hip hop world, that song and Walker not been who he is. He's been doing the same kind of thing forever. Right. Mm-hmm. He's like my songwriting soulmate that way. Like we both listen to the same kind of music. Yeah. But we're country and we love country music. And so it's like it's just kind of the perfect storm really sorry I was all over the place no and but look where it got like it has you know as you said it's changed your life and walkers and I actually think in a sense the Grammy nomination and I was thinking about this the other day a lot of the time Grammy song of the year you know won't be the nominations won't be the biggest selling songs of the year and you know maybe like the mainstream ones not right. obviously have you girl crushes and things, but yeah, yeah. it was almost like, is this going to happen? Yeah. And it, when it uh-huh. came out, I think it was just like, it, yeah, it is going to happen because it's a great country song, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hit cop. <laughs> <laughs> it is hit cop. It really is. But it's a country. It's, we're right. It's like Walker says, we're writing for people to go to strip malls and normal people, like just people like us, like we're not, eating at Ruth's Chris every night. We're not at Nobu every night. Like we're normal people with jobs and families and just trying to make our way and keep doing what we love. You know, Walker was working in a Costco four years ago. It's incredible. You know, such a story. And he's got six children and one in heaven. You know, it's, it's a, Nobody deserves this more than him. He is legit, though, my songwriting soulmate. Like, we just click. We just click. Because I wrote the chorus to Make You Cry before I got to the writing session. And when I got there, he's like, yo, dude, this is my story. How? Like, what? And then we just tweaked it a little bit here and there, and it flew out. That was the first time we'd met. A lot of the times when I'm on my way to sessions, I just... I call it being tuned in, tapped in and turned on. Like I just get in a zone and then here it comes. And usually it's a melody. Sometimes it's just a concept, but that day it was a melody and a concept and he loved it. And rest is history. I, I absolutely <laughs> love that. And I can't wait to see the, the Grammy results. And I think this song will just continue living on for, for years. Thank you. I, I think so on. too. I can actually say I really actually believe that. <laughs> yeah, I really do. Um, I just, the time has flown and I could really yeah. talk to you all day, but I'm going to wrap up. Um, yeah. But I do I do end every uh, podcast with three questions, uh, okay. with three answers around threes. <laughs> um, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but can yeah. you possibly tell me three songs that you wish you'd have written? One more try. Um, I Can't Make You Love Me hero mariah carey that's the fastest anyone's ever done it not that there's a prize but there you go then there's one more one more would be the song remembers when by trish yearwood those are my four i'm like oh gosh Mm -hmm. yeah uh what about three albums you can't live without 
Um, Mariah Carey Music Box. The Faith album. <laughs> I love George Michael so much. <laughs> um, three out. Mm, one more. Oh my God, there's just so many albums. Mm -hmm. Um, Tapestry? I knew you were going to say that. I was like, tapestry. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to be like, what about Tapestry? <laughs> Greatest album of all time. Um, and what about three kind of artists or writers or producers that you haven't had a chance to work with yet that, that you'd like to work with? Mariah Carey. Still haven't written with Mariah Carey. Um, God bless him if he was alive, it would have been George Michael. Um, let's see. Adele. <laughs> and that's yeah. solely because she understands how to craft a song and sings her face off. Mm -hmm. And I just really respect that. I'm the dude that goes to Target and buys the CD because I want every single song that could possibly be on there. Um, gosh. And I, then I think probably um, Billie Eilish. Nice. Because that would be an odd pairing, I think. Yeah, but I, I can see it. I just want to, I, I like kind of stepping outside the box. Like, I'll try anything, you know. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. We also use this as a manifesting session. <laughs> yes, we do. Manifest, manifest, manifest. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to let so you go. It has been an absolute pleasure. As I said, I really could talk to you all day. Um, <laughs> I too. absolutely love the stories um, and I can't wait to hear so much more from you. You too, love. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs>